Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Self-Confidence Project. I'm your host, Kimberly Hill, and this podcast is all about life and dating and relationships and navigating this intoxicatingly tricky world that we are all in. I want to bring you humor. I want to bring you fun. I want to bring you practical advice that you can apply right away in your lives and your dating lives and in your relationships. So thank you all for tuning in. I look forward to bringing you another episode. What are we waiting for? Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Self-Confidence Project. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited uh, to bring you another awesome episode. Thank you to everyone who's been listening to my show, especially in the new year. Um, It's been a pleasure bringing you these weekly episodes and hosting awesome guests. Um, If you're interested in getting personalized support with dating or relationships, the easiest way to do that is to book a free consultation with myself. And you can do that by heading over to my website at www.kimberlyninahill.com. Now, in today's episode, I'm bringing on a very special guest. Dr. William Jackson has spent 20 years teaching mindfulness-based meditation. He incorporates core methods from Vietnamese Zen, Burmese Theravada, Buddhist meditation, and contemporary evidence-based mindfulness practices. He spent 7,000 plus hours of time in meditation in retreat and six years as a fully ordained Buddhist monk. He is trained as a clinical health psychologist and has developed mindfulness-based interventions with the NIH, the Benson Henry Institute at MGH, Center for Mindfulness and Compassion and Harvard Medical School. He is the founder of Skillful Means, an organization focused on helping you clarify and take practical steps toward your personal vision of well-being. Wow. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. (laughs) How is your day, your morning going so far? Thanks for having me. It's beautiful. Beautiful here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to be on this. And, you know, this is a different kind of uh, um, program that I've been on before, but I think there's a lot of stuff I'd I'd love to share. Yeah, likewise. And I know we're all excited to soak up some uh, some wisdom from you. Um, There's a lot of exciting topics that I want to dive into today. Um, But before we do that, like, how did you end up here? What set you on this path in life? Um, that's, a, that's a good question. I think ultimately, what set me on this path? I think when I was younger, um, I used to get in trouble a little bit. Mm. And um, <laughs> I, I started to develop this perception of myself as sort of a bad kid. And, um, you know, dealing with um, that sort of bad view of myself. Um, I struggled with relationships, relationships with adults. And um, eventually when I was in uh, undergrad, I was studying uh, acting because ultimately that was the thing that I had going for me and that got me into, got me into college. And um, I was studying uh, Shakespeare in England and mm-hmm. I found a book by the Dalai Lama that said, how to practice the way to a meaningful life. And at that time, we were studying Shakespeare. I had a lot of free time on my hands. I started meditating. And uh, as I was meditating, you know, I had some magical experiences, which were fine. Uh, but ultimately, the benefit of it that sort of hooked me was I started to understand my emotions more. I started to understand my own mind, mm-hmm. um, what thoughts led to what emotions and what experiences in my life led to certain states of being and certain ways of feeling. 
And as I started to explain my experience to other people, um, they listened. And I remember at one point sharing something with a, with a woman who was also an, an actress. We were talking about feelings and jealousy and all this sort of thing and, um, and, and how we use words. And I remember her saying like, oh, I'm so jealous of so-and-so, but really she wasn't jealous. Actually, she cared about her friend and was excited for her friend, but her language didn't really represent that. And I was sort of saying like, no, you actually really care about her. You're not actually jealous of her. You, you're excited for her. Mm-hmm. And um, as I was saying that, I looked around the room and there was a room full of Christian missionaries because that's, we were studying in this Christian missionary because they had extra rooms. And um, they were all listening to what I was saying. And I thought, well, here are all these like, good people uh, who are spiritual and holy in some way and doing good things. And here they are listening to me talk about some experience that I had in meditation, which they find valuable. And for me, it made me feel like a good person. It made me feel valuable. And ultimately, I think that's what hooked me. And the more that I meditated, the more I felt like I had something wholesome to offer the world, um, people that I cared about, and better I felt about myself. And ultimately, the more I understood about my own well-being, which sort of took me on this path to meditate more and meditate more. And then I eventually became a monk and studied, you know, and I meditated even more and went to the jungle and that path sort of ended with me realizing in a monastery in the middle of the jungle in Myanmar that I really wanted to have a family mm. uh, and that, that was a really important experience that I wanted as just a human being. And so I was sort of sitting in the jungle. I had the realization. I opened up my eyes and I'm surrounded by Buddhist monks in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe no family happening right here, right now. But right, right. Yeah. So then that, you know, then it was the journey out and to do that with integrity and clarity. And, you know, I, I had some sort of demons that I had to confront. Um, but, you know, I made it out and my, the way that I approach relationships completely changed, you know, being celibate for celibate for maybe seven years, um, totally changed things and Mm. how I related to women totally changed. Uh, and that, that was, uh, that's a big, big journey for me. Yeah, it sounds like it. And and thank you for sharing it. I know you've given us a real quick condensed version, but I'm sure there was a whole host of experiences that came along with that journey for you. And so help me and the audience understand what is meditation versus mindfulness? Where do they cross over? What does this really mean to the everyday person? Sure. Uh, so I would say mindfulness is a state of, of mind. If we're mm-hmm. to kind of try to simplify it, uh, mindfulness is a state of mind, which is present. Um, you're aware, you're connected with feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel real mindfulness has a, a sort of integrity to it. So there's an honesty with yourself about who you are, how you feel, um, is your behavior aligned with um, what's most important to you? There's a, an awareness of, of all of that within a moment of, you know, being awake. Mm-hmm. Uh, often we catch ourselves caught in, a, in reacting to something. We catch ourselves caught in a habit. Um, and we often have a moment where we wake up and we realize again what our priorities are, what's actually important to us. And that I feel like is a moment of mindfulness. 
Mm. And meditation is the exercise that helps you to bring about that moment more regularly to get familiar with it um, and to cultivate it. Beautiful. Nicely explained. I I love it. Um, And so getting to a state of mind where we can be more mindful, let's say the average person, um, like how do they just incorporate, like we're not going to go all zero to a hundred here and be mindful in every moment of our lives. So what's like, what is a way that we can just slowly start bringing some of this into our lives? Yeah. So, um, so I, after being a monastic for a while and going through sort of the traditional training and then coming out and I, you know, went through this training to become a, a psychologist and, um, you know, understanding the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and sort of the stages of change and um, understanding sort of uh, how people work and how people change and how people identify what is most important to them. Um, I feel like I came up with a little bit of a uh, a process. Mm-hmm. And for me, uh, it's about uh, even in a moment, even like right now, if you were to ask yourself, what's one thing that I'm working on in my life? You know, one area of my life that you know, I've realized maybe that there's some suffering, um, mm-hmm. there's some difficulty, and it it would it would behoove me to address it. Mm, I have um, an example. For me, it is, and this has been like my intention or mantra for a while now, still working on it, yeah. <laughs> is like letting go. Yeah. Like absolutely. not trying to hold on to everything in my life, my relationship, my business, my friendships, everything so tightly and feel like I need to be mm. in control. For me, it's like just a little bit of like there's hard work and working hard and having goals, but then there's also an element of letting go for me. Yeah. I'm working on that still. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> That's yeah. perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. So what I would do is I'd take, I'd take that um, and even in that moment, right, this is a moment of, of awareness. That's a moment of mindfulness for me where you pause and you look inward and you, 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 what usually arises is something that's pretty important to you, right? It's not like, um, it's not like what comes up is, is, is shallow. Often suffering tells us that, Hey, this thing is really important to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you have this moment of awareness that there's a suffering in your life. There's something that you could potentially address and then what I do is I ask people, what's, you know, what's your vision for that? You know, it, you're comparing it already yourself. You're comparing with a supposed to or where I want to be versus mm-hmm. where I am. Yeah. Right? And you might feel some sort of deficit there. Um, and then sort of talking about, well, what is this expectation, this vision that you have for yourself? And is that practical? Mm-hmm. Is that, does that actually make sense? A lot of times we recognize that we have this incredible expectation for ourselves. You know, I was working with a client the other day who said, Oh, you know, once all so-and-so type of people are not sort of imprisoned anymore. And they, when they said it out loud, they said, this is what I expect myself to do. And this is what, when I know that I'll have accomplished my life's work. Mm-hmm. And when they said it out loud, they realized that's ridiculous. There's no way that one person, I can do all of that. Yeah. I've myself such a huge expectation, which puts stress on me every day and in all of my relationships. And so sort of recognizing that to start this is the expectation that I hold for myself. This is the thing that I, the vision that I have for this area of my life. And then really sort of breaking down, why is that important to you? What do you want more experiences of in this area of your life? What do you want less experiences of? Um, And then we start utilizing meditation. So mindfulness 
can be the state of mind that you bring about on a daily basis, you know, maybe 10, 15, 30 minutes, an hour, which I often try to get people to of meditation a day, um, where you invite this area of your life into your meditation. You cultivate sort of this state of mind, you know, focusing on the breath or doing mindful walking or breathing. Um, and then you invite in this area of your life to contemplate just a little bit and say, you know, I'm going to take a moment with a little bit of a more balanced perspective and balanced mind and uh, recognize some of the things that are coming up for me. Well, here are some of the feelings in this area of my life that are coming up. Here's some of the moments of my day that I keep replaying around this area of my life. Here's some of the habits that I have around this area of my life that I can recognize in the moment next time, have a mindful moment like, oh, this is happening again, and maybe make a new choice. Mm -hmm. um, maybe plan to make a new choice and practice making a new choice. And with that, there comes insight. Um, so for me, I know it sounds maybe like a, a bit of a complex process, but I think it comes about, it's a, it's a natural process that we go through anyway, and we can sort of facilitate that, whether with a guide or going through, going through a process of developing more awareness yeah. in, and mindfulness in particular areas of our life. Yeah, That's go through helping people to integrate that. I, I like it. The key thing I took out from that as well is like, you know, inviting that mindfulness into our way of thinking and like taking a more balanced approach to is it like, why is this important to me? And is it really important? And I'm curious though, because, you know, so many of us are so very anxious these days. And I know that a lot of people, when they try and sit down with their thoughts, it doesn't feel so balanced. It feels really anxiety inducing. And then they kind of get caught on this tangent where they're going down like a rabbit hole of overthinking and looping and futurizing and all these things. And so is there something that is, that works differently for those that are wired a little more anxiously, or is it just, you know, it's a matter of like, Hey, just got to practice it. Got to keep doing it. Right. What, what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, in one part, it is it is an exercise and mindfulness. Um, if you're going about it in a mindful way, you're it's not so much about thinking. Um, it's you know often in, in meditation you have a meditation object, or always in, in meditation you have a meditation object, whether that be the sensation of breath, and that acts as an anchor for you know our crazy minds that jump all over the place, and you your mind jumps away from it because that's the default mode. That's what we, our mind has spent, you know, millions of years or 1.2 million years or whatever developing um, into sort of the, the, the habitual process of getting anxious about something or worrying about our place in the, the tribe or herd or whatever it is and potential social threats and regretting things that we've said and worrying about things that we have to say or do and how people are going to think or feel about that. Um, that is our default mode that we have to work with on, on a daily basis. And it's been exercised in a particular way. Those are well-worn paths. And we have to gently but persistently um, train our mind mm -hmm. uh, to do something differently. And I think there are skillful, skillful means that you can go about utilizing to, to do that more effectively. I think one is sort of having an anchor in your meditation, whether that's the sensation of your footsteps that you're coming back to. It's a sensation of breathing that you're that you're coming back to. Um, I apologize. Uh, uh, 
got interrupted there or just lost train of thought or? No, I'm sorry. My, I, my computer is doing all of these notifications. Um, I apologize. That's okay. So um, it, this is. Uh, um, You're yeah. saying focusing on the breath or the footsteps. Yeah, having this as an anchor in your meditation is is one of these skillful means. Mm. And that's to help you with this sort of more basic practice of becoming mindful and, and staying in the present moment, staying concentrated on something. Um, but then also... So putting your phone away then, so we don't get notified. Even me, I need to flip mine around right now because I'm getting a whole bunch of dings and notifications from Instagram. And it, I can tell that it's slightly, like ever so slightly taking my focus away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so, but when we arrive in the present moment, right, often it's not a wonderful, pleasant feeling, right? We're, we are, we are confronted with the suffering that we've been experiencing in our life. And ultimately we, we have to let go of some of the coping mechanisms, which take us out of the present moment. So mm -hmm. when I first became a monastic, for instance, the first two years of my life was really uncomfortable. I was, I was angry a lot. I was, I was really anxious. You know, I kept having, I, you know, I had lots of panic attacks before I started um, practicing meditation. And one of the main reasons was because I took away all of my sort of negative coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to learn new ways to deal with the stressors and the sufferings in my life. Yeah. And I, and I don't think it's, it's not going to be a totally comfortable process. And I don't think you can go through that, that much change quickly without some difficulty and without some, some pain. Yeah. That's, that's one piece, but the other piece is there's a way that you can soften the blow of that with things like self-compassion, with kindness to yourself. Um, you know, simple exercises like, this is one my wife gave me uh, a couple of days ago, um, asking yourself, uh, what would a, a sentence be um, from a good friend uh, that cared about you uh, be right now. So what would a sentence be for you that um, would put you at ease, that mm. would um, help pull you together and help make you feel uh, that you are at ease in your own skin? So what might somebody say to you? Mm. Sort of thinking about that sentence and then being able to provide that for yourself. Treating ourselves not. like we would a good friend. Yeah. 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 That's nice. I like that. So there's a few things that I was hearing there. Like, obviously one is like, we have like coping mechanisms or things that distract us. And I imagine those are things like too much TV or, you know, any kind of addiction that we have or over drinking or, uh, you know, I don't know what, what else it might be for somebody else. Um, and then one of the other things I, I picked up there was when you were talking about focusing on something in meditation, I kind of had my own little aha moment there because when I try and sit to meditate, I'm usually doing something focused around the breath, um, but I'm a really visual person. So I'm mm -hmm. curious to know is like, um, is holding something or looking at something maybe going to be more effective for someone like myself who kind of learns really visually, who like needs a little bit of that kind of stimulus, um, yeah. or is it got to like work through it and focus on something different? Would you recommend that, you know, people are holding something or they, they are visually looking at something? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think there, there's a tremendous amount of um, different meditation objects that you can, you can work with. Um, and my sort of definition of mindfulness and meditation can be a bit 
more broad. So when I think about meditation, I think about nearly any time that you're purposefully using your mind. Right. Um, so you can be, you know, meditation is just training your mind. Mm -hmm. So um, whether that is with a musical instrument, whether that is in a conversation where you are, you know, paying attention to what the other person is saying, or you're paying attention mm -hmm. to the feeling that's coming up in you while you are listening to somebody, um, whether it is the sensation of breathing or another part of your body, your belly movement, or feeling the bottoms of your footsteps, uh, bottoms of your feet as you're walking, all of those are, can be really effective sort of anchors to the present moment. Mm -hmm. Some other traditional meditation objects are, you know, you might have a white circle that you put out, you know, an arm's length in front of you and you open your eyes and you, you look at the, the circle um, or you have a flame that's also about uh, an arm's length away from you and you look at sort of the base of the flame you open your eyes and then close your eyes and keep that sort of reflected image that sort of gets stuck in your retina, um, in your, in your uh, mind until it disappears to, to increase your, your concentration. I think there are absolutely visual, physical, emotional sort of objects of meditation that we can connect with. Um, and, you know, if you're an auditory person, you like music, then, you know, sticking with, playing all the way through a song and memorizing a song, it takes tremendous awareness and playing with a band uh, and, and hearing other people play, you have to stay sort of in the pocket. You have to listen and hear and feel and recognize other people around you. And that takes tremendous present moment awareness. Mm -hmm. um, if you're a therapist and you're paying attention to how somebody's feeling and you're watching their journey, staying present with them, again, this is also exercising mindfulness. So I think as long as you're sort of purposefully aware of your meditation object and what you're sort of staying with in a measured, gentle, persistent sort of fashion, stretching yourself, I think you can cultivate more mindfulness yeah. and more awareness. I like that. The first thing that I thought of there was like where I do that the least. And I have to admit, that's probably when I'm eating my meals is like not being as mindful or as slow as I could be like, not even there's been times when I'm probably not the only one here. Or you chow down a piece of toast or have a bowl of cereal and you kind of feel like you almost blacked out. Like, did I even just eat that? Because you're rushing to do it before something else. And, um, just made me realize that maybe that's an opportunity for me to slow down and be a little more mindful there and focus more on the flavors and sensations yeah. versus uh, hooving it back. Like I do guys. <laughs> and, and I think yeah. a lot of people don't even recognize when they're, because yeah. when they're first recognize when they are not being mindful and mm -hmm. they're first doing research on mindfulness, they um, had this questionnaire called the five facet mindfulness questionnaire. And what they found is after people meditated for three or four weeks, they actually decreased in mindfulness according to the survey. But ultimately, what was happening is they were realizing how, as they became more mindful, they were realizing how unmindful they used yeah. to be. Yeah. And this is true in relationships too. And especially like, you know, I talk to clients about like when they're being physically intimate with partners, it's like some of us can actually be very non-mindful in that moment and be very checked out or in our heads and, and somewhere else. And it's like our partners can sense that that, energy is not there and you're not connected. And so, you know, I often am saying like, how can we bring mindfulness into, um, our physical intimacy with our partners and well, as well. And, and that leads me into the question about, 
you know, how mindfulness is actually developing a sense of safety, a sense of creativity, a sense of grounded confidence. Um, you know, how is it really achieving this? Yeah. So two parts. So one, I'd, I'd love to come, I'd love to answer that, but there is something that you said earlier just about intimacy. And I don't know if we're mm-hmm. going to, we might go there as well, but you know, somebody who has been practicing meditation pretty solidly for 20 years, I am regularly, I catch myself, you know, also in physical intimacy, getting sort of caught up mm-hmm. and not being present with the other person. And how do you find a balance with, you know, being present, enjoying yourself, going at a sort of a natural place, pace that feels good to you while listening to another person? It takes a lot. Yeah. It takes a lot of awareness to, to stay in that in that nice zone where everything feels like it's moving in a really positive direction and, and you're aware of, of everybody's needs. You're absolutely right. I think a good majority of us, you know, can be physically intimate and also quite checked out, you know, if it wasn't for the physical sensation kind of bringing us back. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people are quite disconnected at this, at this juncture in their relationships, you know? Yeah. And I think where, where meditation and and mindfulness comes in there is it's, it it is that sort of balance. You're continually practice practicing that. So Mm -hmm. often when somebody is uh, beginning a meditation practice, I'll have them uh, just start with breathing naturally. So allow your body to breathe on its own. And ultimately this is one of these rub your belly, pat your pat pat the top of your head sort of things Mm -hmm. trying to do simultaneously because it's, it is letting go while being fully aware of something. And usually we can let go when we're checked out. Yeah. Um, and when we're, when we're present with it, we're sort of controlling and we're sort of strangling, you know, sort of uh, uh, strangling the moment um, and just trying to control it in some, some way taking the life out of it. Mm-hmm. And so how do you balance this letting it happen and being fully present? So um, to give an example of that, when I came back from being a monastic, I was living in Cambridge, uh, uh, in, Bo- in the Boston area, as in the in the Cambridge Zen Center, and um, I had just taken my robes off from being a monk, and I was starting to date again. Mm-hmm. And before I uh, before I had been a monastic, I had had not a great relationship with um, with dating in the sense that I was really anxious. I was really self-conscious. I like tried to play the game in some way or do all the things I was supposed to do. Um, but I had really changed my approach in the sense that I was comfortable on my own. Mm-hmm. I was really okay with myself. And I knew that to a large extent, I was totally fine to be on my own. Um, but at the same point, I, I wanted also to be with somebody. Mm-hmm. And um, and I also knew that I could give everything to a relationship and it might not work out. And that doesn't mean that I don't need to give everything to it, that I don't need to fully try. Um, but to hold both of those in my mind and say, like, I can fully give all of my, you know, I can try really hard to make this thing work and I can really go for it and be totally okay with it not working out. Mm-hmm. With holding both of those in mind, I think that was a, that was a new craft for me yeah um, I bet. 
in the same way to be fully present with the sensation of breathing, but just let the body do its natural thing. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, whether it's with uh, a walking meditation, whether it's with the pace of a conversation, can you let that go at a natural pace and not try to force it and just listen and sort of slowly let go of the anxiety of like, should I speak when you don't really feel like speaking or, um, should I, you know, act a certain way, even though I don't feel like I, that's, you know, that I would have integrity if I behaved or try to act in this, uh, in a different way. It's sort of, mm. how do you be fully present and let things happen at their own, at their own pace? Yeah. I guess, uh, learning to trust oneself, right? Right. 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 And I think if you look at sort of the brain as well, parts of the brain are present during a meditation. Um, you are, you are bringing online this front part of your brain, your prefrontal cortex, which is the part of your brain that sort of directs attention, right? Mm -hmm. It's the CEO of the brain. Uh, and, um, as you do that, um, as you bring that online and you are choosing what you're doing purposefully, there's another part of your brain, your amygdala, which is your fight or flight response um, to, you know, oversimplify that's sort of going offline. Um, and when we're anxious, when we're scared, um, older parts of the brain sort of take over and they control things. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, when that happens, it says, your brain says, you know what, we can shut up all, uh, shut off all these fancy parts of the brain that have to do with choice and that have to do with self-awareness and all of that sort of stuff. And when that goes offline, you end up losing choice and you're just reacting from old habits. You're reacting sort of um, primally in a, in a situation. Um, and so mindfulness and meditation helps you to bring back online that self-awareness that awareness of your feelings, the awareness mm -hmm. of another, um, and allows you to sort of be present while relaxing into something without all of that anxiety. Yeah. I, I feel like a place where it's easier to be in that meditative state or that mindfulness state is for, for me is like when I'm in the shower, because I feel really safe. I am feeling the sensations of hot or cold water. Uh, and it's like one of the most relaxing places for me where I notice, um, I notice just my body starts to like, stop being so tensed up. And I kind of come up with some of my best thoughts <laughs> when I'm yeah. sitting in the shower. And I, I don't know if it's like, there's techniques. I know, you know, somebody in my life who's very anxious and same thing, as soon as they get kind of into the bath or into a shower, they're more in the present moment with their sensations. And it really helps their mind kind of unwind and exactly tap into that prefrontal cortex versus being in the uh, amygdala fight or flight zone. Is there, is there anything else that like, I'm sure you've worked with lots of people that are, are quite wound up tightly and anxious. Um, do you recommend certain things that are like slightly distracting, but also positive, like getting into a shower or do you suggest like walking mindfulness? Is there something in particular yeah. that helps people feel rooted or grounded? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, you know, we're, uh, we're an, a fragile animal. Mm -hmm. Often people will come to me and they'll say, I, you know, I, I want to do psychotherapy or I want to do meditation because I don't, I want to, learn how to not let things affect me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I have to say like, well, I'm not your guy for that because ultimately what I'm going to do is help you to understand um, how things are affecting you. And that yeah. <laughs> in, in, in a large way that, that there's a lot of, a lot of things that you can't do anything about in, in the sense of um, 
you know, if somebody's yelling at you and standing in front of you yelling at you, you're going to feel that and you're going to feel scared. Mm-hmm. I don't care how big and tough you are. You know, if you if you see sort of that sort of violence in front of you, it's going to affect you. Your nervous system is going to start going. It's going to be scary. Um, and and in that case, it's about creating the appropriate environment for yourself. I think a lot of us beat ourselves up for not being able to handle a particular environment or being so sensitive uh, about something or letting something, you know, affect me. Um, but I think um, this is an opportunity to be a little bit more kind with ourselves and, and be less judgmental of the fact that like, you know, we're just a, we're just an animal. We're mm-hmm. a sensitive, fragile being. And, uh, you know, and again, <laughs> I have to this example. I was watching, uh, I was watching, um, what's it called? Bachelorette. Oh yeah. <laughs> and as a, as a uh, psychologist, it was just really interesting. I watched the whole season mm-hmm. and there's this guy, uh, Chad and Chad was this like really tough guy. He was like, you know, like aggressive and like, he was like scary to the other guys who were mm-hmm. in the house or whatever. And one of this, this other big guy, I forget his name, we'll call him like Eric or something. Okay. And, and Eric goes to the, the bachelorette and he says, hey, you know, I just want to let you know that although Chad's really nice to you, he's really scary to other people, like threatening them in the house. And I think he's like a violent guy. Uh-huh. And um, the bachelorette's like, oh my goodness. And asks Chad, is this true? And then Chad's like, no, of course it's not. And then he goes back in the house and he's like, Eric, I want to talk to you. <laughs> And Eric comes over and Chad's like, you know, keep my name out of your mouth. And Eric's like, look, I mean, I have to say, I have to be honest and say what I see. Mm -hmm. And Chad goes, oh, are you afraid of me? And of course, this is the the male macho dynamic where the other guy is supposed to say, no, I'm not afraid of you. Like, I'll take you on. And then there's a draw or something, you know. Um, but instead, Eric says, yes, I am scared of you. you. You're a terrifying person. Yeah. And Chad's mouth just dropped. He like, didn't know what to do. Yeah, well, that's not what he was expecting, I guess, right? Right. And Probably that's used to a challenge. Yes. And that's the power of that vulnerability, that moment of being mindfully aware. Like Eric was like mindfully aware, like this is how I'm feeling. And in that mindful moment, he's like, honesty, this is how I ex- is, am experiencing the world. And rather than being this vulnerable, like sort of wimp, which that's sort of the, the idea of like, if I actually share my feelings and I share that I'm scared, mm-hmm. like that means that I'm sort of a wimp or I'm too oversensitive or whatever it, it was. But yeah. man, he just crushed Chad. Chad, Chad's going to remember that moment for the rest of his life. Um, It's so true. And it's the same dynamic in relationships. Like when we're feeling scared or we're feeling vulnerable or feeling insecure with our partner, it's, um, you know, it's about being honest and sharing that with them, because if we do, it's going to bring us closer. It's going to allow us to connect. We can actually do something to about it versus feeling like having that reaction or like experience is something you need to hide away uh, or shy away from so I love it ultimately is like vulnerability is so important but we have to be aware of how we're feeling in order to be vulnerable right yes yeah yeah sort of wake up out of wherever you were um, whatever you're caught up in whatever should 
yeah. in your whatever line of shoulds that you're following. Exactly. And what should I be like? What should I? And I, we all fall into that trap, right? I always say, well, I don't always say this is a, a famous quote. I can't remember who mm-hmm. said it though, but, you know, comparison is the thief of joy, mm-hmm. right? When we're shooting or thinking we should be somewhere that we're not, then we're creating this gap between, you know, what we want and where we are. And it's a big gap of disappointment and sadness. And I fall into that trap being a woman. Society says that I should have a bunch of kids by now and be married and have a big home. And you know, be baking cookies for my husband to barefoot naked on the whatever. And it's just like, I'm not there. And, and I don't want to be there right now. But there's times when I notice that I'm feeling anxious that I'm not, even though that's not what I'm needing or wanting right now. Oh, yeah. Um, right. And, again, and this goes straight to our, our nature as, uh, as herd animals, uh-huh. right? we we have this impulse to do as the herd does yeah when i when i teach a, a meditation class i um at the beginning of the, the meditation class i get I say okay everybody get up let's all walk around you know they get comfortable on the cushions and I say, okay everybody up walk around the room and i want everybody to walk in a different direction mm-hmm. and within two minutes everybody is walking in the same direction oh my <laughs> Every class for the past 15 years, that happens. Uh, I feel like that is um, a perfect example of what is going on in the world right now. Yeah, yeah that's, our, that's sort of our nature. And ultimately, I think it really matters of what herd do you ascribe to? Yeah. You know, or what herd do you identify yourself with? Uh-huh. And then naturally, we often feel guilty. We feel bad. When we're not following what our chosen herd really does or what our even unchosen one sort of unconsciously that we've chosen to be a part of. Just our community, you know, around us, perhaps, right? Yeah. Our family, you know, whatever we see on social media, whatever it happens to be, we feel like this tension that we're acting outside of the herd because ultimately, evolutionarily, if we acted outside of the herd and we did some behavior that was unacceptable, then we were, you know, ejected from the herd and that meant certain death. Yeah. So we still have those pieces within us and being able to be a bit aware of that, like, oh, I'm feeling bad about taking care of myself. What, where is that coming from? Mm-hmm. You know, or I'm feeling tension about um, maintaining my integrity in this relationship. Like, what is that about? Or I'm feeling yeah. pulled to act out of my integrity. Um, yeah. And again, this takes that sort of internal awareness. You're so bang on. I think even, you know, we talk about herd, but I think, you know, some people might even feel like just their intimate relationships are their herd, right? You got to kind of go along with your partner. If I say something that upsets my partner, I'm acting out of our uh, synchronicity right now. And oh my God, it's going to mean certain rejection or certain divorce. Um, But it's not usually that extreme. Um, but yeah, it's just about being honest and authentic and true to ourselves. And I don't think that's as easy for people as they would like it to be. Right. right. Or, yeah. I mean, maybe not a divorce, but maybe even a fight, maybe even a, yeah. um, you know, harsh words. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Is it's, yeah, it's really hard. I guess we all get to write our own stories we all get to choose who we want to be and how we show up and how honest and vulnerable we are you know some of we're all going to have and experience traumas in our lives some worse than others but um 
you know, it's how we choose to deal with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, to a certain extent, we have the ability to choose who we are. Um, I think we have, you know, our sort of genetics that will sort of choose some of it. Mm -hmm. And I think we have, for the most part, we have a lot of unconscious sort of beliefs and habits yeah. Uh, and the beautiful thing about a relationship, <laughs> a really hard thing about a relationship, <laughs> is that somebody is right there letting you know all of these habits that you might have. Oh, um, yeah, they certainly do. It's, you know, that, that saying that uh, relationships are our mirror, right? They're, yeah. they're holding up, uh, you know, our own behaviors. And, um, you know, it just makes me think of arguments. Sometimes when we're in an argument, we can turn to this person that we don't even recognize. We finally get out of that flooded state and we look back at ourselves and we go, if, especially if our partner stayed calm during it, you go, oh my God, I'm now just seeing a part of myself that I never saw before. This is frightening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, so Wow. Okay. So with everything that you do, what is, what are you mainly doing these days? Are you working one-on-one with individuals? Are you, uh, you know, you're saying you you have these group meditations, you know, what, what are, what's on the plate for you right now? Yeah. So um, after coming back, being a monk, I was teaching, I was teaching meditation classes. That's something I've I've been doing, you know, consistently. Um, And then I, I got my doctorate in, sort of clinical health psychology. So I started seeing people individually. I mm-hmm. worked at a couple of different hospitals and then decided I wanted to open my own private practice. Um, and so I meet with people individually, mm-hmm. um, but more and more I'm shifting to um, creating these online courses. So I, I have, um, uh, uh, after the pandemic sort of started, I, I tried to put some of my eight week courses online and sort of developed a, a format where there's videos for each week. And then, you know, there's a live element where we meet as a group and then people have partners and then we have an online sort of community that has lots of different resources and that sort of thing. And I've really found that to be more effective because often what would happen is I do an eight week course with a group of people and we'd have this great experience together. And then, you know, I just wouldn't see them. Yeah. Uh, And they would lose that support that they had in the eight week course. And I realized across the board with mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, mindfulness-based stress reduction, and all these different courses um, in the medical field, people learn all these mindfulness skills, and then it's sort of, the course is done, and that's it. And then people are mindful for another couple months, and then slowly it fades away. Yeah. So I wanted to be part of a community and have a community where there's, people could continually be refreshed. So um, I started developing these online courses, and then my wife started doing things for sort of uh, changing your relationship with your body. Uh, and then a friend of mine who's like the mindfulness for kids guy started doing that. And now we have for, you know, artists and athletes and um, soon to be vets uh, and all sorts of different sort of topics. We help people, certain types of people integrate mindfulness into their life. So we have a, an expert in each sort of domain um, um, and, and expanding that. So mostly our our uh, focus is on um, finding the best sort of modalities and building out a community that is sort of refreshing and where people can support each other. I love it. And so can people join this community free initially, or is it you dive into one of these particular programs based on what, you know, what modality fits you or uh, like, 
talk to me as if I'm, I'm like, Hey, I want to sign up. Where do I go? Yeah, great. So um, we have a couple of different opportunities. So if you wanted, if you know that you want to train in mindfulness in a particular area, you can go ahead and jump into one of our courses and mm-hmm. you can do that through our, our website, <clears throat> um, which is skillfulmeans.life. Um, uh, but also we have, and you can see this on our, on our um, website as well, is we have this community that's sort of developing. We use the app circle, which you can create a bunch of different groups and, you know, it's similar to like Slack, but it has videos and all this other stuff on it um, and channels. And um, we have free challenges like a seven day meditation challenge or a mindful eating challenge or a creativity challenge. Or- oh, mindful eating. Okay. Sign me up. I had yeah. it earlier. That was my, uh, my faux pas. <laughs> right. So my wife wrote a book on the microbiome and she does sort of nutrition counseling and sort of mindful bodies sort of counseling. So um, she has a, a 12 week course that she does and, but you can start interacting with us by doing all these free challenges and joining, you know, I have a weekly group that people can join as well. And you can see that on the events in our, in our community forum. Um, but there's lots of different opportunities to interact with us um, before you, you know, pay anything or not paying anything at all. You can just come to our weekly class and it's donation based. Okay. Um, awesome. So best place people go to skillfulmeans.life and then yeah. see what kind of fits them, whether they want to dive into a course right away or they want to do a couple mini challenges. Um, yeah. See, see what fits for them. Amazing. Yeah. Um, well, geez, I mean, time goes by so quickly. Uh, I feel like I'm going to have to switch to uh, the Joe Rogan format where I talk to people for three hours because, you know, by the time, you know, we're closing in on an hour. I feel like I'm just getting started and want to go even deeper, but I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing time with me and sharing your wisdom. And, and I hope, uh, and I know uh, a lot of people will take some interesting uh, learnings away from today. So thank you very much. Sure, um, absolutely. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you everyone for tuning into another episode. I look forward to bringing you another one next week. Ciao.